Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who sprung fully formed forth from his father's forehead. Ah, <laughs> uh, I am I am the Adam Glass, and that's you know just what happens. Well, when... I I'm not gonna it's lie glass, to you. I've never seen tradition. this, and I assumed that that is how he was going to be born. Uh, because I was like, how can a person be born old? Well, he must be like a Greek myth and he must be born. He must spring forth fully formed from his father's forehead. There is only one way that uh, that a human being is born in any way mature. And so I suppose that's fair. Um, I guess just when I think about Greek myth births, I always think about geese Yep, that's and, another way. There's, and, there's and definitely, thighs. there's definitely a lot but, of, uh, of a uh, bird, bird adjacent rape. So yeah. you know, I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, I mean, you know, Greek myth is pretty great because, in a, in a lot of ways, and I don't know a lot about it, but in a lot of ways, it's its fundamental refusal to believe in any fundamental basics of biology makes it just so good. <laughs> like, it's so not beholden to anything that could be understood as matter of fact that it, 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 it transcends into this special space. Like, I feel like the Greeks were putting out a lot more work than a lot of religions that would come later. With regards yeah. to, like, trying to separate themselves from reality in their in their mythos, like, right? I mean, yeah, sure. Virgin birth, interesting. Springing forth from your father's forehead, born like, born of of a deceitful relation. That's, I mean, that's next level shit right there. That's like, that's oh, fair. biology, fuck you. <laughs> and I feel like this movie dropped the ball because it decided to have him be born in a traditional manner. It fails at its conceit from the moment one. Because an old baby is not as cool as just a fully formed human being crawling, like clawing its way out of a person's forehead. That's fair. That's fair. So now that we've established Pat's baseline relationship to this film, (laughs) uh, let's, uh, let's play the theme song. Before we get into the movie, I do want to talk about our Patreon for a second. It's uh, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. If you want to head over there, you can support us for just a dollar a month. You get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. You get to suggest lists if you want for what we'll do. And if we use your suggestion for a movie to watch for the bonus episode, we'll probably invite you on. That seems to happen pretty often if we can work out the scheduling. But, again, that is patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Like I said, a dollar gets you access. They're always non-criterion films, 
and uh, we watch a real eclectic mix, even more eclectic than Criterion has been giving us recently, I think. Or maybe not quite as eclectic I, as Criterion has been yeah, giving us recently. I don't know. Because the last, the last six weeks have been a weird run for the Criterion yeah. collection. But uh, as long, however, however long I need to go back in time to to make sure that uh, the science is fiction box set gets worked into uh, the weirdness that the Criterion has been giving right, us. Recently. Yeah, yeah. It's not that long ago. That's it what like that that's like ago. two months maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, we do. Uh, we have watched one documentary over there, Louis Molle's God's Country, which is a fantastic documentary. Oh yeah, wonderful. Um, I would like to watched, do more documentaries uh, at some point on. We should on our on our bonus. Yeah, we should look into that. Well, maybe next month's list. Um, but we've also watched uh, just uh, some really weird stuff, uh, some bad stuff. Yeah, a little um, bit. We've watched Ready Player One. We watched Critters Two. We watched Ernest Goes to Camp. We've all watched, great films. Uh, I don't know which one. I don't know what's films. wrong with you. We've watched Dog Day Afternoon, The Americanization of Emily, Network, stuff that maybe should be in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. We've watched one movie that later was in the Criterion Collection, Celia Metz Failsafe. Yeah, but I feel, I feel like I like still- two months after we did it. Yeah, I still feel like that was like, I, I don't know. I stand by my belief. I don't- like, The movie's fine, but I kind of wonder if it's a sort of like, well, you know- I just don't know. We already have, you know- Strange love, yeah, strange love in there. So like, maybe we should put in the movie it's actually supposed to be in there. And uh, I don't think we could have anticipated. No, that uh, didn't seem like a likely candidate. The way that like network even, or something like that would be. You know what I mean? Right, right. Given given other things we've watched that that we <laughs> we only put on the list after we realized weren't in the Criterion Collection. Um, <laughs> It's weird that it's weird that failsafe. Yeah, it was fine, <laughs> it but really like is. it wasn't like yeah. uh, didn't knock my socks off or anything like that. Right, right. Oh, anyway, um, a little above the one dollar mark for people who want to help us a little bit more and get thanked on air. Um, we have a five dollar mark that it's literally just it's called hear hear someone say your name. So <laughs> here to hear someone say their name, uh, we have Stephen Goldmeyer. And Eric Coronado, thank you so much for your $5 supports, guys. Uh, a little about that, and one reason we don't have as many $5 supporters as we used to is a lot of them have popped up to $10, and we, we greatly appreciate that. At $10 and above, we do something that's pretty special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized note to you, and mail that off once a month. And we also like to thank those $10 supporters on air. So thank you so much to Patrick Yako, Christopher Otto, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaven, and Adam Speakerman for your $10 and above yes, support. Thank you. Uh, many who have been at it for, I think all of them have been at it for at least a year. Um, some of them over a year. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate very, it. Very, very grateful. Yeah. I, I hope the postcards serve you well. Yes. If you'd like to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion. It's just easier that way. You'll see a mostly complete back catalog of the postcards. Uh, there have been some legal challenges that Redbubble refused to go to bat for us for, which is fine. That's yeah, their prerogative, the even work. though at least at least one of them was slam dunk fair use. I'll, I'll allow argument on the other one, yeah. but at least one, yeah, of, one them of them was. Yeah, one of them is... Like, oh, well, our logo's in there, so it's ours. And it's like, whoa, 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 right. whoa, there. Like, for real, though. Like, yeah, we can yeah. use your logo if we're, if we're doing proper 
proper satire. Like, you know, eh, whatever. Fuck it. Whatever. Whatever. Thanks, Warner Brothers. Anyway, uh, postcards also go up there on a bit of a delay so that our users can, uh, our supporters rather, can uh, see them and enjoy them before uh, before the general public has access to them. Uh, but you can not only see that stuff over there, you can buy them as postcards, as uh, folding greeting cards if you want to send them off for Christmas cards to your grandma. Uh, you can buy some of the <laughs> art as stickers and buttons if uh, if the art happened to work out for that. So uh, have some choice over there if you want to uh, purchase anything. Or if you are one of our supporters and really enjoyed a card and want to get extra copies of it, you can head over there as well with, obviously, those two exceptions that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are, that are not legally allowed to be sold any longer. Yeah. If you really loved the Superman or the Godzilla card and uh, and you want extra copies of Just it, call us. let me know personally. Know. We'll, and uh, we'll, we'll get you. Uh, again, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion. And thank you so much to our supporters and thank you for listening. Pat, yes. this week we have a, a curious case of a Criterion movie. Oh, uh, man. I feel like you've been saving that for a while now. You're just like, oh, I just literally. L- Literally just sprung oh. forth from my forehead there. Wow, cool! Uh, you will yeah. impress the all curious the case of the curious case of Benjamin Button from 2008 is our first David Fincher film. We'll see another David Fincher film. Uh, actually, we watched one for a bonus episode. We did watch Fight Club for a bonus oh, episode right. a while back. Yeah, yeah, I forgot uh, about that. But uh, but we do have one other David Fincher in the collection right now with The Game, which is a fantastic movie and can't wait to watch it. Um, Definitely a better movie than than this. Uh, the 2008 <laughs> Curious mean. Case of Benjamin Button, which is an updating. It's time displaced by 50 years from the start of the story. It is place displaced from Baltimore to New Orleans. And it is incredibly elongated uh, because the... <laughs> is uh, the other one a short the story? F. Scott Fitch, yeah, the F. Scott Fitzgerald story this is based off of is a 1922 short story that starts its plot in 1860, just before the start of the Civil War, uh, as opposed to this movie, which starts uh, the earliest date in this movie is the end of World War One. Yeah, so 1918. Um, so 1918. So, uh, yeah, uh, 58 years displaced. Um, huh, yeah. that's interesting to know. The, yeah, the background of this is... Unique among Criterion releases. Okay. Um, and we talked we talked a little bit about this last week, uh, me and you. Um, but I don't think it was on air. And I probably don't um, remember it because I have a brain yeah. that leaks. This is the only Criterion Blu-ray that is released in the blue-tinted oh, plastic yeah, yeah, we talked about that this, you yeah. would know as as a Blu-ray case. And the reason for that is because Paramount Home Video wholly produced the discs. Criterion did not use any of their production uh, to make the discs, to print the discs, to uh, print the boards for the cases, or to package them at all. Criterion was not involved. Criterion was not involved with any of that because Paramount only licensed the Criterion logo to release this movie. So, this is the original DVD release of The Curious Case of Benjamin Button from 2009 when the movie came out on DVD. 
and Blu-ray. Uh, Paramount bought Criterion Prestige for it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this like really quite a bit because I'm trying to think about like like I understand why you would do that if you want to like make if you want to give your movie that sort of like whoa this is art house shit kind of vibe to yeah. it you do that but like man like I get that's a weird vibe that's like a really weird vibe to put out it's there a re- it's a really weird vibe um now now the trade off of course is that forever tarnishing your name was and making your, your and very clearly yeah. making yourself like a just a weird shell of, of what you were supposed we to have, be we have talked as far back as at least Armageddon as to the the bargains that have been made to get that to get certain movies that mean that other certain movies get released um and of course our 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 good friend Stephen Goldmeyer came up with a spiritual, uh, spirited defense of Armageddon uh, in that very early episode. Um, <laughs> I would say that I, the knowledge of this one does paint yeah. that one in a new light to a certain extent. I think that's fair. Um, whatever was going on with Ar- Armageddon, and there's a lot of speculation. About yeah, we had a theory. We had a theory about like yeah. the main. The main theory with Armageddon was that uh, they wanted some stuff that was in the studio production back catalog, and the studio right. said, fine, you can have access to that if you also do the DVD release of Armageddon. And, of course, after that, uh, they also released uh, um, oh, goodness, The Rock, the other Michael yes, Bay film yeah. that's in the Criterion Collection. Well, and I... And and, I- you know, we we had we had some other theories that went along that with like you know how much sort of like you know there's there's all kinds of we'll never know because it's yeah. not explicitly we'll never known. know. Well, apparently this is explicit. Well, that's that's a, that's what uh, I mean is like so, those ones are yeah. shrouded in mystery, whereas this one is the right. the deal is known. Right. Uh, yeah, and and so now, that makes it a little bit different. It would seem that the trade off is then that. This being a critically acclaimed film of 2008, uh, it meant that it was widely available, and you could buy a Criterion film in Best Buy, in Walmart, right. in Target, and maybe that gave more. Well, see, that's the weird thing though about that a wider market, a wider market access for Criterion. I I, I get that argument, but th- I will posit a flip side to that, not to get too deep down this rabbit hole. That's 2006, right? We were we 2008, were 2008, 2008. We were in you know, I was here by now, but like we were in you know, I was buying Criterion films, certain ones at a mass market video store in 2006. Because I bought, like, three separate copies of fucking Seven Samurai because they kept getting stolen. (laughs) Okay? Like, the number of times I let somebody borrow a copy of Seven Samurai and then it disappeared, never came back into my hands, was ridiculous. Uh, But as such, I am aware of that. Like, I mean, I get why... I I totally get why they would do this deal, right? Like, Stay Adventure... It's it's now, a new film talk, that is is critically acclaimed. It's there's no real downside for that for anybody. 
when you talk about where you got them, are you saying uh, a mass market like media store, like an FIE or well, or it, FIE kind or, or, of. Uh, I don't know if you or, ever had any inter- like interaction a, with Hastings, but Hastings, okay, Hastings was a yeah. it was a it was somewhere in between. It was it they rented movies, so that's part of it, but they also yeah. sold books, magazines. They were some weird right. hybrid, partially because at that time in like that part of Kentucky. It was Hastings or bust in terms of right, like right, right, like that's that was your that was your media store, and that only probably was in town because the university was there. But like, it, it, yeah, I mean, it it was a place that sold movies. But what I'm saying is like, so did Barnes and Nobles at the time. Like, I bought movies at right, Barnes and Nobles right. all the time at that point. It was just a thing. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I would say. There is still a distinct line between Hastings and Walmart. Um, True, yeah. So, I mean, Walmart is is a Walmart is. I would argue almost that Walmart is an is its own outlier because right, Walmart right. exists so far off the spectrum of even sort of media stores. Like yeah. it has a, it is a not a media store, but it has a small media section. Like, keep in mind that most of the media section of Walmart at the time was dominated by. The, the ten dollar DVD rack, right? Not right, right, like right. even their new releases and section the, at that time. And the one dollar DVD bin, right? Like uh, at where that you just time, had to dive in like a ball pit. Right now, um, they've kind of had to reformat it. In my experience, when I've gone to Walmart more recently, where they're like, "Oh no, we sell new releases now." Like they have a a right. much now when we go to when I go to the local Walmart near my parents' house, like. There's like three row. There's like two or three rows of like new releases. Whereas at that time, there was this tiny little section of new releases, and then huge racks of ten dollar DVDs. That's just what it was, right. and 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 right. DVD bins, and you know it was just a different. It was a different different world. So I can see getting right. it in there was nice. Yeah. Again, I don't know. I know a lot about those deals and what what benefits i know it was around 2009 or in 2009 this would have happened but uh but what uh what sales pop criterion may have seen yeah, maybe. from that i don't know what the licensing agreement was i bet the licensing so agreement the was sales... just really good <laughs> i bet it was, i just bet, i bet the, they got paid yeah. a lot of money to, to put their name on it right 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 and and even with something like that you get paid a lot of money uh to for Paramount to put your name on something, and that that means you can fund uh, <laughs> Scorsese's time machine. Right, takes keep, fuel. Keep, keep so. pouring the souls of babies into it, which is, I assume, how it's powered. <laughs> how it's powered? Uh, unbaptized babies. Scorsese oh, yeah. is uh, <laughs> right. Is, right. Gotcha. Is Catholic, uh, but <laughs> anyway, um, but but seriously, obviously, uh, whatever whatever deal they struck. I'm sure gave them money to invest in the restoration of other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I, and finding was, other films and like so. all things, all things being equal, it's not it, like it's fine. It's not it's not that out of the ordinary in the Criterion Collection because the Criterion Collection, as we discussed, has apparently no functional modus operandi. <laughs> like it doesn't really right, have right, one. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Um. The uh, the history of this movie trying to be made is uh, really weird. Uh, uh, Ray Stark is a producer for Universal, 
um, who optioned the rights to the short story in the mid-80s. At that point, it would have been directed by Frank Oz and star Martin Short. Um, What? Yeah. Not uh, not this script, obviously. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I get that. But, like, (laughs) boy, my brain is reeling now. I can't. Like, I understand it's not the script, but this is so, that's so far off of what this is. Right, right. Frank Oz, Martin Short. Uh, the next iteration. For some reason, also Kermit's equal, there. I don't. Equally, equally as far off. Uh, the film was next optioned in 91 with a director, with Steven Spielberg attached to direct and Tom Cruise attached to star. Oh, man. Okay. Now, here's what I will say. <laughs> that could have been amazing. Cause like, like the Martin Short one is is weird, but it's weird in a goofy way. Whereas, I I I understand that this is a different time and place, but my brain is so locked into Tom Cruise as pure action star that like I'm just imagining like, well, we said it in 2004, and Tom Cruise is diving out of helicopters as a man who's backwards aging. Like I I can't. Right. Like I can't not picture him in that capacity, so it's like I'm like picturing him doing his like Mission Impossible run, but like in this movie, I don't know. It's pretty great. I yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, at one point, um, before it left Universal, uh, there was an iteration with Patrick Reed Johnson set to direct. That's the guy who directed Baby's Day Out, Angus. Uh, spaced invaders. Um, Wait, people really of... had a very specific view of this as a as a comedy. Yeah, yeah, for I a really long think so. time. Um, I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking late late eighties, early nineties, uh, Spielberg too, right? Well, and you that's know, the thing, got, right? That and that's the Tom Cruise you would be dealing with at that point, right? You're you're dealing right. with like kind of cool guy heartthrob era tom cruise like can be in a comedy movie yeah yeah uh also also while it was still at universal at at one point um attached was the uh uh the polish director uh (laughs) I won't be you say Holland? Wajah, but I'm, I know you're not going to. It's not Wajah. I wish it was Wajah. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Um, that would be the best version of this. I, I would watch that in a heartbeat. It'd be so confusing. Yeah. Uh, Agnieszka Holland, uh, who uh, directed Europa Europa, uh, um, that might... Oh, she directed three episodes of The Wire. I didn't know that. Um <laughs> Uh, and a few episodes of Treme and a few episodes of House of Cards. Um, but, uh, oh, in the 2014 uh, television miniseries version of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, anyway, so she's done she's done some work, but uh, I don't know if it'd be anything, uh, anything you'd seen. No, uh, I've, I've not seen any of the things you just named, so that's, that's okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, that was all under Ray Stark at Universal. It never got made, obviously. Uh, Ray Stark sold the rights to Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, who brought it to Paramount. Um, That was around 93, 94. Uh, They started in 98 
with a Ron Howard directed adaptation. Okay, uh, potentially starring John Travolta in '98, which okay. is an interesting choice. Um, because <laughs> John Travolta was making some weird movies. I'm trying to think about I think about like John Michael. Travolta, like, what are we what are we talking at here? I'm talking about here, Michael Phenomenon. Uh, oh no, no, that but that totally checks out. That feels yeah. like by the book casting at that point. You're like, oh, I know yeah. a guy who's been in some weird movies recently. <laughs> yeah, some weird like, yeah. like. I don't know if that timing actually movies. works out, but they seems they seem like they should be late late nineties uh, John Travolta movies. Um, they could be early two thousands. Now that I think about no it. I phenomenon anyway, is definitely like up. when I was in element. It yeah. was in like junior high school or something like that. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paramount then hired Jim Taylor to adapt the screenplay uh, and attach Spike Jones. What? What is? Yeah. What is happening here? Like, okay, so what? What we're what we're hearing is. Really, like I've heard about movies. We've, we've. This has happened before. This isn't the first film that's been like this, but like, it is really interesting because so often with the Criterion Collection, we're dealing with like essentially auteur type works, where it's like yeah. one person's vision of the movie they want to make. Yeah, and this is so heavily, obviously, a studio film. Like it's you hear about this, but I only ever hear it on about this on generally on podcasts where they're talking about like big studio releases that are like, well, we shopped this around for fucking three decades. Right. And it finally got right. made. And it's the script yeah, got it's rewritten not like 25 it's, times. It's not like it's one person's pet project, right? Right. It's just it's just thing, you know. It's just a thing. Um, so that was, that was in May of 2000 with the Spike Jones attached project. Uh, then enter screenwriter Charlie Kaufman to write a draft. Of course. Um, <laughs> Why not? And then in 2003, we get the first stumbles of this iteration of the film uh, with Gary Ross attached to direct Gary Ross, uh, who directed uh, Ocean's 8. The Lady Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> okay, uh, well that was bill. after after this, but like yeah, <laughs> yes, after this, uh, Pleasantville he'd done before this. Sea Biscuit okay. would have come out right around that time, so well, uh, period piece associated, well, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah, you're getting the vibe he, now. Uh, you're starting to get a certain sort of vibe there. He also he also wrote the screenplay to Big and Dave, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Anyway, um, and then. Uh, that version of the project, which is what became this version of the project, had a new script penned by Eric Roth. Eric Roth is the guy who also wrote Forrest Gump. This is this is so much in that category. It might as well. It's not right. even funny. Yeah. Uh, in May 2004, uh, Gary Ross had dropped as director, and David Fincher came on to that uh, that right. iteration. Um. So, 2004. <laughs> And that's that's where we get uh, yeah where we get this iteration of the movie, I guess. Um, and then we get uh, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett brought on to star, and you know all the casting's done by uh, by the end of two thousand six, and we uh, we start filming. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Filmed on location in New Orleans for the most part. Um, a lot of there's obviously with the characters a lot of digital aging stuff going on, but yeah. also with the uh, 
with the uh, goodness uh, buildings in New Orleans. A lot of the stuff was filmed on location, particularly at the train station, uh, with the train station digitally aged. To, now, uh, now to here's what, here's what I will add to that is that digitally aging, especially architecture, means like you just the, you dirty it up. Well, but you, all, change. you either dirty it up or you're replacing it whole cloth with CG, and all you're doing right. is getting essentially like figure placement out of the whole thing. It's a, kind of a silly. Right, 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 right. It, it's one of those things. Where, yeah. Well, we filmed it on the. It's more like because you want to say you did it. Then like it actually mean anything, you know what I mean? Like, because my guess is the train station doesn't look anything like the nineteen eighteen train station, which means that like it's probably just all a CG pre- train station, honestly speaking. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's that's a, oh man, I gotta tell you, the CG aging and de aging shit is fucking rough, man. That is not <laughs> yeah. a fun thing to look at for any length of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is that is some brutal stuff right there. Like that is we are fully deeply in sort of an in a in an uncanny valley territory for throughout a lot of this movie. Especially 100%. when you get into younger Brad Pitt. It's like woof, man. Like just why are you making me look at this for like forty five minutes? There is uh there is a fantastic bit of trivia in that the the end uh teenage teenage benjamin who shows up at the end um before he becomes child benjamin in a montage yeah teenage benjamin is not played by a dramatically de-aged brad pitt because they had run out of the effects budget by the time they got so he just is a weird looking actor then (laughs) yeah yeah um that might be the problem is that like i was trying to be like this is this isn't brad pitt this this is very weird but yeah. you know, what are you gonna do? Guy who looks enough like Brad Pitt. I mean, whereas whereas you know everything else is old man makeup and superimposed Brad Pitt old man face on like child actors through the first. Right. Know? I yeah. It's all very like I don't know. I found the effects in this just to be very uncomfortable th- for most of the movie. Like I found. I you know I just found the entire experience to be like really visually rough like yeah like i i i understand this is like a prestige movie in a lot of ways but like let me let me give you an example like doing your flashbacks as like sort of sin like doing them as bad recreations of silent era film stock <laughs> is just such a <laughs> heavy-handed shitty thing to do but yeah, like it just is. It's like, like as soon as that started playing, I was like, "Oh fuck off!" The lightning strike guy is just such a weird like. Well, the lightning strike guy might be the only thing I actually moment. like in this movie. Like the the way yeah. they do it is stupid, but it's a fun yeah. gag. Yeah. So I enjoy yeah. the gag of it, despite the fact that like whenever they show it, I'm like, "Why are we doing this this <laughs> it's, way?" It's the execution is dumb. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I know one more note on the visual effects. This did win an Oscar for best visual effects. It won it the did. Oscar for best makeup. It won the Oscar for best art direction. It was nominated one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was nominated for ten other Oscars. It did not win. <laughs> right, because because like 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, though, to me, like, really, honestly, because, like, I'm actually, well, although I am surprised it didn't win any of the other sort of, like, categories was obviously gunning for. Yeah, I wonder what, I wonder what won adapted screenplay that year, because that would be, that would be one that I would feel like it was almost a shoe-in for. Right. Um, But I wonder what, uh, what it was up against. Uh. Let's see, 2008 Oscars. Oh, that's why it lost. Why? <laughs> it was up against uh, Slumdog Millionaire is what uh, won for Best Adapted that year. Okay. Uh, but it was also up against da- Doubt, Frost Nixon, and The Reader, which all are, are very good right. uh, adaptations of their source work, I think. Um, whatever the criteria for Best ad- <laughs> best Adapted Screenplay actually is. I don't think, I don't think it's actually... Uh, how good the adaptation is so much as how good the movie is and it happens to be in right no i agree it's like that category it's like they've built a whole suite of cat it feels like they built a whole suite of categories to be able to give like a like second prize like to people who don't win best picture you know what i mean (laughs) to a certain extent you know what i'm saying it's like well but if you qualify for this category you might win this one Interesting. The next year, in the loop, was nominated for uh, for adapted screenplay uh, because it's a sequel to a television show. I, yeah, I mean, I uh, guess like yeah, so, as you said, like that that category seems to be very loose. Although I am right, fascinated right. by that because like that would have been a very funny win. Uh, yeah, just in yeah. general terms. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, I get like the visual stuff. It makes sense because. Those categories always feel like, well, if you're a big budget film that is in that cat that like did a lot of that kind of stuff, you're kind of like gonna be in the running for that stuff. It's it was probably it was probably very good for the time. It holds up okay, but not amazingly. Like it can be very disturbing at times to look at. Like they'll catch you off guard sometimes. You're like, Ooh, you're talking specifically about the effects. Yeah, the effects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, the film is at best okay. Too, no, yeah, think, the film, but... the film itself, like the story is. I'm, I'm fascinated. Can I, like, I've never read the Fitzgerald book or short story. Yeah. Obviously, let's get that out of the way. Uh, that's not gonna happen. This is not one I felt compelled to go. To no, either. no. But since even the ones that, even for the movies, I very, very, very much enjoyed. Like my my time for doing that is is basically non-existence. I've had I have to have already read the book just by happenstance, basically. Um, right. Yeah, like I don't know what the source material is like. I can kind of guess, maybe a little bit, given just what you know the way Fitzgerald writes or whatever. But like this, I'm fascinated by this kind of story. That fundamentally doesn't need any of its its weird elements to be the same story, right? Like it has this weird metaphysical conceit to it that is wholly unnecessary. It does nothing to the plot, essentially. Like you could make a movie about a an abandoned child who grows up in an old people's home and then dies of cancer. Or finds out something about himself that drives him away from his family. 
and right. you've got this movie without there, any metaphysical elements. There are a lot of reviews from the time that this movie came out that and and since that speak of it in terms of what it would be like in the hands of a different director. Yeah. And talking about, say, a Nora Ephraim version of this film that focuses on the two lovers meeting in the middle. You know, the which is a a phrase uh, right, which is a part of this movie that out. is essentially rushed through in many ways, right? Like in right, this version right. of the movie, we get there and then David we go Fincher, montage yeah. for some reason. Yeah, David Fincher is not interested in that aspect of the story. I mean, looking at um, his history, I like I've. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's fine, right? Uh, David Fincher is is doesn't need to be interested in that aspect of the story, and it would have been schmaltzy if he was Right, but here's the problem. Then, then what you're dealing with is you pick the wrong director for this movie. Right. Because right. that's what this movie, fundamentally, this script, this version of this movie is about. Right? Yeah. It is a yeah. romance and that's, story. And that's what, you're right to say that's that's the script here, right? There could have been a version of this movie that was more adept to uh, what... Uh, what David Fincher could do. Oh, yeah. Maybe more if it do. leaned more into sort of that metaphysics or, or even making it a little right. bit creepier, maybe. Like maybe right. making going harder on how unsettling this is or would be fine. Or making absolutely anyone in the entire film universe curious about, about, the, about curious the case yeah, yeah, of Benjamin yeah, Burton. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> but, There's a lot of versions of it that would be more in his wheelhouse, but this is not it. It doesn't feel like it's it. Uh, you know, and imagining whatever the Frank Oz version of this I, would be well, like, is, is fantastic. I, I enjoy but... Imagine because it, it seems like it's been a long time as a comedy, and I can read yeah. that fine. You could definitely make a comedy version of this kind of no problem. But the problem is it wouldn't be this even a little bit, right? It would be – right. it might have some sappy sort of romantic elements to it, but it would be fundamentally about how goofy it is that this person – it would be – what it would be then would be I've never seen them, but like it would be like those movies like that have been made more recently that focus on like kind of like late two thousand tens, those sort of like uh or early two thousand tens, like those those ones about kids with weird supernatural powers, you know, like there's like uh yeah, yeah. you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like there's like, oh, this kid was born when we planted a tree out in our yard and he became a magical tree boy. <laughs> that kind of shit. Right. And then you're into like sort of like slight some comedy elements romantic movie kind of or uh, some yeah. romantic elements comedy movie or something like that. Um, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of ways that this story could have gone, um, but and I think this really this is Roth maybe resting on his lawyer his uh, laurels too much, but this really 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 feels like Forrest Gump two. Yeah, but without absolutely. any of the social commentary that Forrest Gump was trying to make. Well, but also we don't like, know like he, to what he was... neutered himself too. Well, we but there again we get into this really weird position of like, well, okay, how much is that is our writer and how much of that is our director cutting out things that our director's not necessarily wanting to talk about in this movie? Right. There's a lot going on here because like, you know, you've got this sort of like there's there's kind of room for social commentary, but not as much. In the sense that like. I I don't I don't know about that. Well, okay, there is I, for sure. Certainly, 
certainly F. Scott Fitzgerald writing right, in yeah, 1912 okay. or whatever, starting a story in 1860 in Baltimore. Absolutely. Yes, you're right about that. A lot of room for social commentary that I bet Fitzgerald didn't talk about. Right. But you have room In the to same do way. It. Right. In the same way, 1918 to the eve of Katrina, New Orleans. Well, and that's where that's kind of where I wanted to go in a lot of ways with this. <laughs> was, but that's the thing, right? Is that like at that point when you get to Kat- like the eve of Katrina, now that feels more that has to be even more director than anything else, right? Like that has to be like, well, I want to talk about it, but I don't actually want to talk about it. Like I want to like allude it's to it like- because it adds dramatic. It has drama to it without actually adding any right. content to it. They were filming this post-Katrina. Right. So there is a chance that David Fincher thought he was honoring the rebuilding efforts I'm by sure. acknowledging acknowledging Katrina having happened. It's just a very weird choice for the framing element. that it, And the framing element is already like, uh, you know, it's, it's the... Uh, it's the uh, Titanic framing element for some oh, reason. Oh, I, and I, uh, I mean, like, that's what I'm talking about. This movie put me off on so many wrong feet all at the same time. Like, I, right. I, I loathe the mom, you're about to die, tell me a story. Right. This version of storytelling. Like, like, you have this story, just fucking tell the story. Like, you don't need I to, like, the... frame it in a, in a present tense sort of, like, backwards reflection version. It's not really necessary. Yeah, it's and I guess in in a Fincher element of that, I guess it's it's not mom tell me a story. It's it's mom, why are you insisting I read this man's diary that I don't know who he is? Right, I mean, and then, yeah, and it's then a suddenly in the on it, but. suddenly six hours into me reading it, it's uh, it's addressed to me. Uh, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is a slight, but you're essentially all you're doing is adding a... It is a twist on that framing argument, You are adding a, yeah, a Fincher version of that same framing that, like, we've all seen (laughs) eight million times in every form of media possible. Right. I'm going to tell you a story about the olden days, kid. Yeah, and and then there's the second framing element, the thematic framing element of the story of the blind clockmaker. um, Uh, Which is just this weird, like, throwaway thing that shows up, like, (laughs) twice in the entire movie. Has this whole long bullshit... Uh, like it just drives me nuts that that whole like oh it looks like an old silent film thing at the beginning right. for him and then like they don't even lo- I mean is that, I I assume that's part of the Fitzgerald story it has to be right in some way I I really have no idea if like the the clock running back I don't know why the clock running backwards would have worked in the Fitzgerald story I can't imagine that it was there I think the Fitzgerald story is about. A, it's just literally. Uh, the, it's about the aging. Story. I think it's literally just about aging. I think it is. It is about uh, the to call attention to the ways that in our old age we become like children again. Right. I assume that's uh, the ba- that is the basic conceit yeah. of the whole idea, right? Like, it, which is right. kind of a cliched thing in and of itself, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Fitzgerald was. I take I take it this is one Fitzgerald wrote on his end, own and wasn't stealing from his wife, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, yeah. but maybe not. <laughs> like this is like really, yeah. The blind, the blind clockmaker feels like almost like this weird red herring at the beginning of the movie because like right, right, it doesn't. Right, it's right. this. It's this whole thing, right? Like the timings don't line up, so it's not even like his clock is metaphysically forcing this person to age in the wrong direction or something. Like it's roughly in the same time period, but like they're not directly connected. Um, right. 
and then and it, like and then like the clock ends and then he dies like a year later it's like it, it's also not connected at the end either it's like well what the fuck is the point of this what are we talking about here am right. i supposed to have an emotional connection to the clockmaker too I can't really interact with a with a blind clockmaker without thinking of Dawkins blind watchmaker and I don't know <laughs> just I, obviously they're not trying to say anything no, about no. Uh, <laughs> they're not trying to argue against intelligent design. I guess I guess maybe there is some sort of meta thing that if there were intelligent design uh no life would ever exist like this. Why do we why do we run down in outside of a world of entropy? Uh, why would we? Why would we run down in the way that old old people run down? But uh, yeah, that's but not knows? what this movie Anyways, is about at all. Think, like, right? right no, like right. what it feels like to me is like I can see a world where you make this like you try to explain the metaphysics of what's happening, and you're like, well, right. this 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 person and this clock are connected. I'm glad they didn't, but it feels more like they changed their mind and didn't do it at the last minute. Right. Because, like, they've got this whole blind clockmaker thing. He builds the clock, theoretically, sometime after Benjamin is born. Because, right. like, it's way after the war. Like, he finishes, like, he's commissioned after the war ends in and of itself. All this weird, or all this kind of weird stuff. Like, it, the, the timing doesn't line up. And then he dies. The The clock ends. And, and then he dies. I don't know. It's, like, it's not actually time to line up. Whereas in a movie where it's about that, like they would line up perfectly, right? It would be like, oh, and then he died, right. and the clock ended, it stopped working, and then he died, and the fucking clock is still moving at the end of the movie when the flood comes in. It's just like, oh, fucking hell, just stop, <laughs> right. just right. stop, <laughs> right? Just, it's just, what are you doing? Just it stop. Is, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's one of those instances where the the metaphor is so obvious in its existence. That it's it's hard to argue if we're somehow so dense or or if they just goofed it when they made the movie. I mean, but, like it really it really feels like they could they I it feels like they wibble wobbled on that framing, and like well we already have this in the movie so we're not gonna cut it. But like it's you know what I mean? Like it has this feeling of like well, do we want to directly link these things or not? Or do we? Because like when they're not linked, it's like, well, what the fuck is the point of this even being here? Like, why are we? Why are we doing right. this? And then like, like it has these weird moments of you know what it also it reminds me of. It reminds me of shoot, what movie does it remind me of? There's Forrest Gump, but it reminds me of in more recent years. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm I can't latch onto a specific example. There are these film like for example like um something in the category of uh um. What's the name of that movie that had that TV show that had Jim Carrey in it that Netflix made? That's like about the kids oh. who are trying to kill their un- their uncles trying to kill them. Shit, what's that yeah, called? Yeah, uh, series of unfortunate events. Right, you know that sort of like pseudo Victorian. Jim Carrey's in the film version. Of I that, don't know, but, uh, man. There is a television miniseries <laughs> I, version. I don't where, uh, know. Neil man. Patrick Harris plays the same character. Okay, but yes. Sorry. Anyway, uh, sorry to all the people who I got wrong. Yeah. Um, I hope you're not listening. Actually, I hope you're listening because, like, <laughs> Jim Carrey's listening. I would. It would. It would be hilarious to me. But no, the idea that like, um, it, that, that sort of like pseudo like, it kind of exists in that time, but it doesn't, and it's also kind of a comedy, but it's also kind of dark. That sort of vibe that seems to have picked up speed in the in the 
in the mid 2000s like the the late yeah. 2000s early 2010s that like when then he goes off to sea and they show it and it's got this vibe the same with the guy getting struck by lightning it has this sort of like this is old timey but it's it's sort of a parody of old timey and it's also like comedic but it's also dark but like it's not really any of those things when it all comes down to it cuz you just mashed up so many things together that like it just develops this really like uncomfortable vibe to me i don't know how to describe it like it's this i've i've watched more than one movie with this with this feeling to it where they're like it's almost like family guy flashbacks meet like somebody who wants to do like kind of pseudo dark victorian comedy i don't know right very strange right the the lightning bolts particularly are very much family guy family guy style uh non sequitur um and it's very it's it's an odd comedic beat for how it exists and you know it's it is actually like you said they're silly i mean I, i'm part, not joking when i say it's one but, of the only parts of the movie i liked yeah like i yeah I, whenever they did it i was like well Thank God we get a five, like a thirty second break. Yeah, from whatever the fuck's um, going on right now. Right, but only cumulatively thirty seconds. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like... nothing. Like, well, I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. I do take some weird dart joy in a person just watching a person like trying to like fucking like walk the dog and get hit by a, like a ridiculous because like it's also like it's. It's filmed like it's filmed with the effects style of a silent movie too. So him and the right. dog just fucking fly through the air. Right, right, right. Like it's very silly. It is silly. It is all very silly. Yeah, um, yeah, and that would be that would be a maybe an interesting thing because he's, Fincher is doing a little bit of commentary on the advancement of film. So, you know, I wonder if he got shot down on an idea of of shooting this in the style of each era because we sort that of would have, have been interesting. That would have been too. film filmically that would have been really interesting <laughs> to watch. I don't, it wouldn't yeah. have improved the story. Right, and I don't think I I think it would only have been a detriment to the story in particular yeah. actually, but um uh AO Scott in his New York Times review uh compares this uh compares says it owes a debt to the spirit of uh jorge luis borges uh more so than fitzgerald um and borges is usually only ever ever referenced as a shorthand for magical realism right Um, right the uh the criterion essay for this which is written by uh kent jones uh also references borges and makes a little more of an explicit reference to borges um, and saying Benjamin Button is filmed in uh, Benjamin Button as filmed is quite a distance from Fitzgerald's arc conception, closer to Hawthorne's Wakefield and closer still to Borges' Funes. Um, Funes, uh, it's actually it, Borges wrote a lot of very interesting short stories, but uh, Funes the Memorious is the uh, the uh, short story that that he's referencing there which is about a man who uh, I believe he is also struck by lightning in the story. Uh, but no, he falls off a horse. Uh, Funes falls off a horse and hits his head. And from that moment on is cursed with never being able to forget anything. He okay. remembers everything that happens from the time. He right. Hits his okay. Head. So, it, uh, right. Okay. 
which is which is also you know I I understand why Kent Jones maybe makes that connection right. uh, if he's familiar with Funes, um, but also that's not really a reflection of well, what's happening here too because he does go through uh, dementia in well, the end. Well, but what I think he's going for is less like specifically what's happening in this film, and it's more talking about this as a as a sort of stand-in for the other kinds of films we've been talking about. There is this whole genre of like the metaphysical in a sort of like real world um like romance or drama story. You know what I'm talking about? There's like yeah. um they've been, they've been popular for a while now and this may this may have been part of what sets it off, I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about where it'll be like this is a "Quote unquote normal drama or romance, but we added this weird metaphysical twist to it, like that kind of makes it somewhat magical, real. You know what I'm talking about? Right. There's right, like right. I, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I, it's not that I've actually seen. I saw part. Like I'm trying to think of like good examples, but there's a whole genre of this kind of film. Like I, uh, it is not at all what you're going for, but I think particularly of. Uh, of the Jake Gyllenhaal movie uh, Source Code. Uh, oh. where... Well, okay, that does, but it, it just flips magical realism for... Well, it's, it's still magical realism, but it flips it for, like, the... It's the other version of that, which is the, like, super science in real life, you know? Yeah, uh, but, like... Well, 90, 99%, 99% of that movie is super science, and then in the last... In order to make their love story actually work, they they switch it over to magical realism right, right, at the yeah. last moment. Well, that, yeah, um, that movie has its own special problems, but, like... Yeah. Like, but you know what I'm talking about, though. You, get the, you are getting the picture of what I'm talking about. I can't lock yeah. down a good mental example, but I've seen... The number of these I've seen on a goddamn airplane is so high. Yeah, where they're 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 oftentimes somewhat prestige pieces at 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 least, where where they'll where it'll be like okay, so it's basically just a romance story, but we added this weird surrealist twist to it. Well, I mean, there's with it. there's stuff there's stuff like uh, predating this. There was that uh, early '90s. Uh, rom com that was like a, a cryogenically frozen World War II pilot. Are you talking about the one with Mel in... Gibson in it? <laughs> I think Mel Gibson was. Yeah, in I've yeah. seen that. I saw that with my yeah. parents. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, no, totally, absolutely. They, this has been around for a long time. Um, yeah. I think it's all those movies have like is... names like Time and Again or something yeah. like that, right? Well, I mean, there's <laughs> like fucking like Ghost, like uh, Goat. Was that? Yes, yeah, is it Ghost? The Pat? Yeah, Game? Ghost. Yeah, and they, 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 yeah. they, it's been around for a long time. What I will say is that there's a certain style. I feel like I don't know if it. it I again do not know if it originates here, but where they more they more lean into it feeling. And it's probably just it goes with like filmmaking style of the time, where it, it feels softer. And feels more magical. Like yeah. the, a lot of those older ones you're talking about seem to shy a little bit away from like leaning into this just being magic. Y- y- you know right. what I mean? Like, right? They've got those all have like a science explanation, I guess. Right, yeah. or or at least a like a like a classical ghost thing going on, where it's like this right. is just a ghost. Whereas these ones have more lean more into that sort of magical realism, where it's like. Oh well, we're sure as shit gonna put a blur filter on this lens. You better fucking believe it, and it's gonna be all browns <laughs> and, and and beiges and like these really soft muted earth tones a lot of time. And you're gonna get this feeling 
that like magic is real, man. You can feel it. It's all around you. Love is magic. That kind of they have this there's this very specific vibe. If we went hunting, we could definitely, definitely find movies that fit into this vibe since this, and probably before this a little bit. Like, shoot, for sure. I just don't have enough of a, a mental reservoir of those kind of films because when I have seen them, I have immediately forgotten them. <laughs> because they all suffer from the others. They almost all suffer from the same problem, which is the magical realism element is not, strictly speaking, necessary to the function of the story they're telling. Like, right. most of the time... It's a it's a conceit in the film, and it'll be a plot point at some point where at least where it like maybe some element of what the sort of final outcome does to hinge on it, but like it only hinges on it because they make it hinge on it. Like him leaving his daughter here is a function of this conceit, but you wouldn't actually need this conceit to make him leave his daughter in a normal right. sort of film. If you were making a non magical realist version of this, you would just come up with a come up with a normal real world reason why he would have to leave or died right. or something you know it's right and and honestly in that regard is where it most reminds me of Forrest Gump because yeah. the yeah. the sort of artificial uh separation that our main character has from the rest of rest of society right yeah uh, yeah, yeah that uh, that he never really overcomes it always affects how he's interacting particularly when he goes to see Daisy in New York uh very reminiscent of uh Forrest going to see Jenny at her, her yeah, performances yeah for sure right? you're definitely right about that <laughs> um and again you know attribute that to to Roth being the same screenwriter but Roth is in other movies presumably so you know it's not like he's a one trick pony i don't want to suggest he is uh but you know, it's also you know a big historic prestige piece. You know, I'm sure Paramount is also thinking, "Why don't they hired Roth because they wanted to make it more like something they already knew people loved by making it more like Forrest right, Gump." Right. So you know, it's, I'm sure those decisions were were being made. Um, but yeah, it's just I don't know. This yeah. movie is just so boring yeah no it's for sure so it really is i I, I started finding movies that fit into the category i was like what are some movies like bender but mutton on the internet right and like it, it yeah. suggests something like finding neverland or those ones where shakespeare comes back to the real world or, they all <laughs> yes, fit into that yes, same yes. category you know what i mean where it's like no this is magic like it's not this is like this isn't a they're not actually trying to explain the metaphysics which makes it more magic-y than a right. lot of the movies you would have gotten two decades before where they feel a need to be like, look, audience, I'm going to need you to stick with me for a minute here. He's a ghost. Yeah. Would you like to see how he became a ghost? You know, that kind of thing. Whereas, like, um, these ones are more willing to be like, oh, no, no, the audience will be fine. They'll they'll suspend their disbelief for this. It's fine. I think maybe, maybe now that I've had a chance to think about it, the the pinnacle of the genre you're talking about is maybe Kate and Leopold. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep, totally. Yeah. All those and they do some of them do predate this by quite a bit. Like looking at like there's yeah. late nineties, early two thousands. Oh. Like it right. felt like and every Kate year there was Kate a and block Leopold's of two thousand one. But yeah. yeah. Well, no, I was looking at like something like um if you go back and look at some of them, there's like uh shoot, what was the one I was looking at? It was like nineteen ninety eight and there's there's a whole block of these late late nineties, early two thousands hotbed for this but part of that conceit is always that they don't really feel like they need to explain they need to explain the rules but they don't explain why 
Like yeah. that's not strictly speaking necessary to explain like no there's no cryogenic machine is what I'm saying. Right, right, right. Whereas right. in an in an early nineties, late eighties one, like Leopold would like would have to get like fucking frozen in a you know what I mean? Or some some weird ash. You know what I mean? There were, I think I I've never I haven't seen, seen it, Kate so and Leopold, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I I I believe it's a time rift, but I don't know if it's a magically induced time rift or just a thing that exists. Right. That um, I mean, sometimes they do. I was you know, but you can also just tell by the color of the film, right? It's that beige and right, that right, o- slightly right, right. oversaturated lighting, beige, soft sepia tones, that stuff. Yeah. Um. Amazon labels this as a su- suspense movie. Oh yeah. Uh, which, oh, I was on the edge of my seat the entire by. time. <laughs> what's the, what's the suspense here? Waiting for Katrina to kill everyone? Is that? Uh, is there's that. that. The there's. I'm gonna throw out. Um, I find what new horrors they will show to me on the screen somewhat suspenseful. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess. I guess there's the suspense of the framing story of uh, of the daughter. Uh, yeah, boy, man, it is suspense. Figuring only, out her story. Yeah, only the lightest. Like, and then also, like, like I understand. Like, can you? These movies also have to always exist in a world where the people are also not people, like not normal people, in any yeah. real capacity. Like, can you put yourself for like five minutes in the shoes of that woman reading that diary? Like that's some like this is a very 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 fucked up thing. Yeah. Like beginning to end. Like it's like these movies have to have characters that are just fundamentally not people because you'd be like I under- you would be freaking the f- like you'd be losing your goddamn mind. It's like what are you even telling right. me? Mom, did you write this is this just like your short story collection that you were going to submit to the to fucking I mean the like some book or something? I don't know. At least, at least when we get to the big reveal that I don't know didn't seem like it was that much of a reveal. Well, to not me. for us as a uh, mo- as a as an audience. It's like as, Jesus, as, just hurry up, get right. there already. But I guess, I guess you know, at least she has that big negative emotional reaction to why are you making me read this at that moment, right? Um, so you know that's realistic to an extent. But well, yeah, I mean, yes, idiot. Well, I would say it is. Realistic in but the Daisy. context that it wants to make it, they they realize they have to have her overreact, like react hard to it, but it's certainly not hard enough. Right. It is. It is I mean, substantially given, under what it should be. <laughs> given just the weird passive aggressive nature of the way Daisy is presenting this information to her daughter, it's like I am I am in bed dying. Here is this beat up diary. Please read it aloud to me. Right, and it I will had, tell you your uh, entire life story that I have lied to you about. Like I'm clearly <laughs> dying of something like cancer, so I definitely have known this was coming and could have told you this with my own mouth for quite a bit of time. But instead, here's a here's a diary. Hey, you remember just after your dad died, or the guy I told you was your dad died, where I would disappear for six hours every single day and not tell you where I was? Yeah. Turns out I was taking care of your actual dad as he died. So. Also, um, magic's real. Thanks. Also, magic's real, and no one cares, and I'm the only one who ever noticed. Right. Like, I (laughs) I guess, like, the people at the nursing home, like, the daughter knows... Right, the woman who's in charge at the end 
has to, right? Like, right, right, the, right, it, right, it, right, it's, right. It's fundamentally right. impossible for her to not know. Everybody yeah. else apparently is wholly oblivious to this. It's it's yeah. very wild. It is it is. Queen, Queenie's oh. daughter has no reason that it can't be that she knows, right? Like, it, it, there, it's yeah, just, it's impossible for her to not. It is just fundamentally right. impossible. And the way for her to not. the way she acts, and and she knows to call Daisy when, uh, right. when child services brings, uh, brings Benjamin child, child back services to the just only doing address. a terrible job in this movie. <laughs> just an atro- atrocious work. Uh. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like uh I feel like mid to late nineties uh New Orleans child services, that's probably par for the course. <laughs> right, but, true. But like I mean, I, it's, I, it's still kind of par for the you you yeah, find child one person. Are, hey, just because they are bad does not mean I can't comment on how alarmingly bad they are in this movie. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Like it is that's still fair. upsetting uh in this movie. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to point out about that though is that like um like yeah, there's there's a lot of like sort of like I I am I I am wildly fascinated by the way the movie tries to give you information to tell you what's going on in the most heavy-handed ways possible. The child services guy says the doctors say if they didn't know better, they'd say it was dementia. Right. And I'm like, "No, they wouldn't because there are actual child <laughs> there are like childhood diseases that prevent memory formation. Like, there are things that you, this child could have that were not fucking an like dementia. God damn it. Stop it. <laughs> Be like it's it's the same as like the other way when he's first born too where they're like well he appears to be a bajillion years old. His his bones have signs of arthritis. And like movie let's be real here right now. Doctors, a lot of diagnosis is context dependent. And some of that is like is problematic because doctors will misdiagnose people all the time because they'll be like, oh, well, he's fat, so it's got to be this. Right. Happens right. all the time in a really bad way. But also, the doctor is not feeling a baby's, like, they might be, but they're not going to be like, well, he's got like, Late stage arthritis. They're going to assume he has one of the many, many childhood, like, you know, arthritic type conditions that 19, children, the babies get. Nineteen eighteen doctor is not going to say, "Oh, it's like he has arthritis." It's yeah, his bones didn't develop. Yeah, I don't no, know well, why. absolutely, you're totally right. <laughs> and, and, and extending that into like historical context, it's even more <laughs> right. so. Like right. the fact that the doctor's like, well, looks like he's a ninety-five-year-old man on a baby. It's like, no, stop it, movie, stop. We have eyes. We can see what your weird CG puppet team's trying to pull off here. You don't need to tell us, <laughs> right? Like we're not. I don't know. We're and not. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fi- side effect of being made for a mass audience, and know, and but, actually. Uh, Brad Pitt pulls this pulls one of my least favorite parts of this movie. Brad Pitt pulls again in Ad Astra, which is Brad Pitt narrates the main point of the movie in oh, the last well, five yeah, minutes I mean, of the movie, yeah. and then does it again five minutes later. Same thing happens in Ad Astra, uh, but <clears throat> where he's just like you know, uh, people are people at the end of this movie for some reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's you, different. I'm uh, fascinated by the sort of the other thing I'm fascinated though about here is the context of making this movie and like who its specific audience is meant to be. 
Nowadays, we are mainly getting movies that are geared towards us. Okay? Like, we're the audience. Like, maybe the people a little bit younger than us, too, are, you know, but it's like, well, millennials are specifically the audience that you're going for because they're the ones who go see movies a lot. Um, That is actually an interesting aspect to this compared to Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is a celebration of boomer culture, right? And Forrest Gump is a boomer. Uh, he, he, He grows up in that era. Right, absolutely. Benjamin Button is not a boomer, but he does happen to be about 40 years old at the end of the 60s. So Right, like he's, and because of the well, weirdness of like his aging thing. He's 50 and appears 30 at the right. end of the 50s or 60s, I guess. They so. still get the, have their cake and eat it too because he's definitely listening to the Beatles sitting on a mattress right. on the floor with his right. wife slash girlfriend, right? Like, right, right. And, and it feels like in many ways, something like Forrest Gump is a, a meditation, is a sort of, like a celebration of boomer culture and all this stuff and a lot of movies. Uh, but here we're getting late enough into the game where now it's almost like, well, we're still making movies for boomers, but now what we're making is movies for boomers trying to, to talk to them about the thing they're most concerned about now, which is their inevitable getting death. old. Yes. Inevitable death and aging. Uh, yeah. And, and that's yeah, a fascinating category in because it's a very short time window you're dealing with there. Well, we're still making movies primarily for boomers, but we've gone past sort of a place where we can be like, we're going to talk about your, like, we're, it's not about, like, where you are, like, it's not so much a celebration in that way anymore, and we're only, like, half a decade off from, well, now we're just making movies for millennials. That's that's our audience now. That's who these are for. Right, right. Now, this is, I mean, this entire conceit of this film, and I'm sure the Fitzgerald story, too, is the phrase, youth is wasted on the young. So we get one character who gets to be young while having the non, the uh, wisdom of old age, um, which I guess is also the conceit of any Freaky Friday story, too. Absolutely but, true. Um, 100%. But usually those are also about learning to understand your kids, uh, whereas this is not about Well, Freaky Friday movies kids. are almost exclusively about kids learning to understand their parents. That's in that's a lot fair. of ways, in general, they're they are they are written by old Adults. people yeah. for old people. But like your kids yeah. just don't get you, but they could if you could steal their body. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's just I don't know. I get I get off put by how passive Button is in in most of his life. Yeah. And totally. yeah, he's this quiet, contemplated guy. And that plays into a major problem I have with his films, ignoring of any sort of uh, outside social causes. Right, right. Um, yeah, when he runs into Daisy, she's in the weird bohemian 50s uh, Kerouac sort of New York culture. Right. Um, so that's cool. He watches The Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Uh a uh, a rocket launches from Cape Canaveral at some point. Um, uh, all of these things sort of, these, these time touchstones happen as a means of telling us, oh, we've jumped to the next decade. Right, yeah. But, right. But, but they're not, they're not as, de- like when World War II breaks out and everybody's just like, oh, I guess we're fighting World War II now, except for the one guy who says, my wife's sick, I'm going to go home. 
Right. And well, and I like, really, cool. I really, really hate that part of this movie. Like, there's parts yeah. of this movie I hate, and then there's parts of this movie I really hate. And that weirdo sort of like, we're jumping into World War II on our fucking tugboat is just so right. fucking fucked. It's so. What the fuck are you doing? Like, you just need to get your little, little, like, little bit of, like, your little taste of, like, war propaganda in here. Just, just. Right. Just a little bit. We need to make sure that you know he was a soldier in some weirdo capacity during World War II. It's in, it's essential. He was involved. It's important. Like. Yeah. It's very strange. So, so the basic, the basic plot line of the short story, as I understand it, I've never read it either is uh, Benjamin Button is born. I believe his mom does die in childbirth, uh, but his father does not give him away uh, or or abandon him, as the case may be. Uh, So he's raised by the owner of the Button Company, Uh uh, relative privilege. Uh, When it is uh, uh, his uh, timeline age appropriate, he tries to go to Harvard. And they kick him out because they think he's a seventy-year-old lunatic trying to right, <laughs> trying to okay. go to college for some reason, which Fitzgerald was pretty sure Harvard wouldn't let you do. Apparently, well, <laughs> probably in the year that 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 would have yeah, like it makes yeah. sense though in in, in right. its own. Like, wait a minute, what um, you want to do? What now? I'm like, you're too old for this. So eventually, his dad retires and he takes over the button company, and then he has a son, and then. Uh, when he gets physically 20 years old, he goes to Yale and becomes a football star and takes special uh, special uh, pride in defeating Harvard as an act of revenge in playing football. Is it possible then, that Fitzgerald's mo- story is more <laughs> stupid than this movie? <laughs> it really is. And then, and then the the kicker of the of the Fitzgerald story is the end that now his son has to take care of him as he de-ages and dies off as a baby right um, which becomes that where you get your real commentary on the fact that like a baby and, I, and, a, and an old person are basically the same thing and i assume that while the movie doesn't deal with it because they were they were their effects budget was dead by that time i assume in the fitzgerald story that the baby slowly shrinks into a zygote and just disappears into a puff of sperm such uh, a bad like would be amazing, right? They're just like suddenly like starts starts undividing, like just slowly starts like collapsing in on itself, and like until it's and just like in, this like little in like real dot time, on the ground. in real time, but but out of utero because that would be <laughs> that would open up so, so, many, so many other questions. questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but, amazing! Just like nine nine months of dissolving. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's that's. I'm glad this movie doesn't try to deal with it. I'm <laughs> right, sure right, that right. Fitzgerald certainly doesn't, but uh, but that would be a very interesting way. For well, if end. you make it into a, if you go full Cronenberg with this movie, <laughs> yes, that's a Cronenberg's pretty reasonable version of this movie. Cronenberg's movie. version of this movie is only those nine nine months. <laughs> nine months. <laughs> okay, I I have faith that Cronenberg could make a body horror film out of a person aging backwards. <laughs> Certainly, okay. Certainly. It's it's yeah. sort of it's actually really fascinating because it's playing in the opposite like you know what I mean like the the body horror slowly sinks away rather than appears but he's also still progressing yeah. forward in time so maybe he's also like occasionally getting like a leg cut off or something you know what I mean it's Cronin, but then does it grow Cronin, back I don't know 
Cronenberg's version of this of this film would definitely lean into the idea of him aging backwards quite literally, and he would have an injury, slowly develop an injury that suddenly suddenly un unoccurs. Right, absolutely, <laughs> totally. Point, right, uh, absolutely. Um, and and I, not certain, but I'm I'm eighty percent of the way there that we would definitely see a full grown man born from a woman. Yes, yes full grown old ass man born from a woman. Yeah, a hundred percent. She's fucking ripped in half in this movie. Right. I think I think there oh, is there I'm is a little a, sick to my stomach now. <laughs> I need to stop. There's a about weird. This. Yeah, let's let's get off this with 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 maybe a sidestep too. Um, there is something weird in this film about him uh, being physically the age that he appears, but having the stamina of someone his chronological age. Uh, particularly touched upon in the in the brothel scene. Um, yeah, it's we. It I I'm. Luckily, these movies are not interested in explaining their metaphysics, right? Uh, but like, uh, but but also, but where he that doesn't have the stamina all the time, right? Because he totters around all the time and like gets right, tired, right. and it's very strange. And he starts life with all the old people diseases, and then still ends life with Alzheimer's. Right, um, that that that, it, that actually really annoyed me in this movie yeah. is that like he really he gets fucked on both ends much harder than anybody else <laughs> right, would in right. real life. Right, like the benefit the benefit you have of being like essentially a three year old is that you're a fucking three year old. Like, yeah, parts of you are goddamn indestructible. Like, <laughs> yes, they just are, and like, and he's not right. He's super frail and fragile and can't like. He has trouble walking, and, and like all these things that like it, the movie, we don't engaging with the movie on a on that sort of mes- metaphysical level is a fool's errand, but at the same time, is up it is annoying in that way, right? And then on the flip side, you know, Tilda Swinton's character is going through her own arc in the background, and she gets this. Uh, I'm in my 60s or 70s or whatever and can and can finally fulfill the dream I had when I was young of swimming the channel um where he gets that little smile nod oh I'm proud of her yeah. sort of thing on the TV I did that that was um, me I made that happen Yeah yeah but you know to to that extent she gets she gets a uh, a real world uh youth is wasted on the young and old people can still do cool things sort of uh sort of thing who is right because you would have like in order to appeal to the target demographic of this movie you do have to have that like in here and 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 because you're their main their lead like their leading like actress is sort of completely buckled down by dealing with benjamin button that you have to create a next a secondary character that can like go be glorious in her in her age you right. know what i mean right because and, because yeah. keep in mind uh you know the our uh daisy's character lives in a nightmare yeah yeah no that's that's another place where where tilda swinton's character is just because she's she's the opposite of daisy right first right. off she's the one she's the one benjamin uh falls in love with even though he knows himself to already be in love with Daisy. Right. Um 
and then and then because of that he's ruined his relationship with Daisy for 30 years right um until he becomes hot hot Brad Pitt and then and then there's just no ignoring it we can't we can't right keep... I mean we can't not fuck hot Brad Pitt let me let's be serious right. here right but whereas whereas Daisy makes a does a really dumb thing and gets hit by a car um and then never recovers but becomes a teacher uh Tilda Swinton uh marries young is not able to achieve her dreams uh hates her life and her husband uh who is for reasons of only keeping him in keeping her in the area that they happen to be in a British spy, right? <laughs> like, deals deals has no bearing Irrelevant. on the plot whatsoever. Yes. just a little world building, I guess. Um, <laughs> I like, but it, then you didn't do it. But let's be very clear: <laughs> world building is in heavy, heavy quotes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but then, uh, but then, her experience with Benjamin leads her to a new invigoration. One because she's having a. Uh, she may not realize it, but she's having a sexual relationship with a younger man, and I guess there's that that classic trope of uh, having that being some sort of weird magic elixir. Yeah, yeah, um, and then uh, and then she goes off, and and still like years after after her experience with Benjamin, she's she's back to to swimming the English Channel, right? Um, because there is you know a very large time gap between when Tilda Swinton is on screen as far as the timeline of the movie is concerned. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of sort of loose ends in this movie that I think in different hands would have come together differently. I don't know. I think you were right earlier to say that David Fincher could do a very good version of the Benjamin Button story but not a good version of Roth's script. Right. Yeah, he would need his own script that is geared towards... Well, okay, here's what I will say. He could do a very good job within the limited context of not very good source material to start with. Like, the story... You get into this problem where, like... I believe that he could do a good good job uh, if he were given a different kind of script of making something that's more in his wheelhouse and therefore would be better, like fundamentally. Yeah. But it would still be hampered by what is fundamentally a stupid story. Like, yeah. Like, when it really comes down to it, like, this is still that kind of story. And, like, it would have to be so... But, I mean, then again, it's already so heavily rewritten from Fitzgerald's stuff anyway... At some point, it's like, well, okay, yeah, but then it could just be anything, right? Like, right. at the same time, right? But, like, the know. person aging backwards Same. is kind of just a stupid conceit for a movie, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, because we'll never see any of the other versions. There's prob- There could be a version out there where I'm like, this is amazing. Right. Um, <laughs> Peter Bradshaw called this 166 minutes of tweed, tweed tedium. Uh, I think it's being it mean star. to twee, but okay, sure. Yeah. Um. Uh. What did? Uh, where was there was the? Oh goodness, I've lost the Roger Ebert review. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. I just there's something about this movie where I feel like all of the additions, all of the all of the sort of uh, forced gumpizations of this 
also kind of fall apart in very yeah. bad ways. And and maybe, you know, if we the race politics of Forrest Gump aren't exactly great either. No. Um but but are making more of an attempt for this. Like the whole the whole thing with Ati, the uh the the African he meets who lives at the house for a bit when he's younger. Right. Um who who talked about how he used to live in Belgium in a zoo uh and would have to fight fight orangutans or whatever pretend to fight orangutans as part of this like like that that is a key to talk about racism that they just do not take right and like even when he when he turns around and scares the kids on the bus that is that is an opportunity of of doing certain things that the movie just glides by and doesn't yeah, do. Totally. Or, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the inherent racism of Captain Mike's speech about joining the war and how oh. we're going to go kick Huns yeah, and Japs I mean, asses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a, yeah, there, there are a lot of opportunities. And, like, you know, you get, you learn very quickly in this movie, oh, this movie's not going to take any... This movie just doesn't care to talk right. about. Well, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It, Ati serves the uh, the final presented uh, narrative theme that that Brad Pitt gives over the ending of the movie. Um, I don't know that... Does Ati get a call out at the end of the movie? He has to, but there's you know that short little montage of different people, but maybe it doesn't actually stick in my mind. Um, I remember Switten in that montage. I don't remember Ati. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, he, he gets this we're all humans sort of thing, and and it's this very colorblind view. Well, see, that's, of, where I, that's what racism. I'm talking about, is that you can divorce that stuff so hard from actual race politics to just make it not mean anything. Right. And this movie does do that. Divorces it so hard. Right, which is where I come from when I say like, oh, it's not interested in talking about that kind of like politics at all. Like, because whenever it has the opportunity, what it does is go full on like, you know, I don't care if you're purple or green or that bullshit is what it feels like it's doing. A 20th century retrospective, as this movie is, that doesn't want to deal with any of that stuff, I'm not interested in. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. Like, you find yourself like, you know, like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah. with, the, with the possible exception of the very chronologically earliest Panlev shorts that were silent about fish reproduction... <laughs> I cannot remember a time I was more bored watching <laughs> right, one of our Criterion right, films. Right. Absolutely, like those were special because <laughs> those were those were magical, and the fact that yeah. they didn't even have fucking sound, and it was just like, what am I watching? Um, right. But like these, this is like, I mean, I have been bored in other movies. Don't get me wrong, but this one's upsetting because. What where this gets me is that like I said, I, I have been bored in other movies, obviously. I I yeah. the and number I'm, of times I've I, had to rewind and watch certain, movies. Uh, certain but, that I have. But like certain what, there have been movies that I watched twice and by the time we sat down to record could not remember. Right, could not the recall movie. it. Here's but, but here's the thing about it though. This is where this one gets weird, is this was a 
you know, 2000s prestige film that, like, in theory, I could have been coaxed into going to the movie theater to watch. Right. And certainly saw on, like, rental shelves and such. Like, it's, it's when, like, and then you get into that and it's like, that makes it different, right? Because like this was like one of those ones that played at the at the Oscars, right? This was like one of those ones where it's like, is it gonna win Best Picture and that kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah. And it's just so nothing. <laughs> it's just it's so it's two hour and forty five minutes of just like, oof. Like the no, like if she were around, she's asleep now. But like the number of times. Rumi could tell you the number of times I walked out of my office and was like, oh, man, I need a break. This is <laughs> this is brutal. And, like, went and yeah. got, like, a glass of water and just sort of wandered around the kitchen because I was like, I can't. <laughs> I have an hour and 45 minutes of this still. It just right. keeps going. Yeah. For- this movie... This movie is a suspense movie in that I was on the edge of my seat waiting for it to end. Yeah, the absolutely. Entire, the entire two hour and 45 minute run. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, man, I it gave me a bad taste in my mouth as soon as I saw the beginning, the way it opens. And then like, oh, it's just it's just like, well, and the thing is, is like it by and large gives up on those weird sort of those weird things, except for the lightning guy after that. Like, it's yeah. just a framing device for the beginning of the film and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, rough, man. It's rough. It's rough. And that's that's what it is. It's just rough. Uh, and I I admire that Kent Jones wrote a spirited defense of it uh, for his essay. That's great. Um, that was probably hard too. <laughs> I don't know. He really seems to like it. I I he believably writes a spirited defense of this. Well, uh, well, the, maybe the closing the closing yeah. paragraph. I, I'm going to read the closing okay, paragraph. Sure, of his go essay. for it. The jubilation of New Orleans on Armistice Day is just as fleeting as Benjamin at his physical peak soaring across the countryside on his motorcycle. And the film's beautifully measured pace, set like Pitt's performance to New Orleans time, never stops to linger over this or that technical achievement. Fincher stays true to the character and the story and the movie, and to his own bracingly frank understanding of the reality of time from first moment to last. I mean, yeah, he maybe really likes it, but <laughs> he really seems like he actually actually buys into it and likes it, and I don't. And I, I don't, don't get it. I mean, under t- viewing it through this New Orleans time of everything happening sort of slow and disconnected, sure, but also you still framed it with Katrina, which is I feel very it was different gross. Sort of, <laughs> I feel uh, it was, it really was gross. super gross. Like uh, it's like really like maybe like I feel like that fits into that category of time period though where like this happens after almost every like major tragedy. They'll make a some they'll use it as a prop in some big budget films and like people at the time some people at the time recognize it as gross. Obviously lots of people do, but then it doesn't it takes a while and then like you know, you and I or somebody will watch it later on. It's like, boy, that was, that was gross. Like, yeah, like I didn't even know. I had no idea until we watched this that it was framed as part, like with Katrina. Like, it never came up for but, me in any of the times I encountered this movie. Like, what? So weird. But even like, I don't know. That's that. That just triggers another thing about the century retrospective that this movie is. It starts in 1918. 
is framed by Katrina, but doesn't talk anything about the physical or political ramifications of the Mississippi flood of 1927. No, it doesn't doesn't. happen. It doesn't happen in the narrative. No, we get a few like hurricane events as framing devices for individual scenes, but they're almost played as jokes. It, it's very strange. This is a very, very strange movie. I, I, it really like the Katrina thing is just such a weird ass gross thing to have in this movie. And then, also, one more thing I want to complain about. For some reason, once, and only once in this film, does it go into that sort of like the series of coincidences that leads to bad things happening in people's lives. A framing device that is used in some movies sometimes quite a bit as sort of like a central sort of like, well, this is how we're going to talk about the things that happen to people. It's used once yeah. and once only in this movie. For some reason, it's so I feel it's so apropos of nothing trying to discuss how she gets her leg smashed. Right. It's like, no, no, you didn't do that throughout the film. You didn't you gotta you gotta earn your right to talk about yeah. a series of coincidences if you want to do that. Right. Well you can't just like do right. it once. Yeah. And then and then just where it occurs in the story is just very weird too. Yeah. Just for for the one time that happening, being there, timing wise, in you know, as sort of I don't know, it's probably close to the middle of the film, so maybe it's, there it's, is. That, it's right before, but. like I mean, it's it's close to the sort of, uh, cl- yeah, it's slightly probably a slightly before the middle, but yeah, like it's it's right before like they're like they get together, which is sort of the nominal middle of the movie. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know, like. Suddenly, he becomes a sort of omnip- like omniscient narrator for a little bit, talking about like how things came to pass. It's very strange. I was like, right. and we don't need it. As did a, he, as did he goers, do all that research post facto? Yeah. Did he? I don't know. <laughs> or is it meant- all speculation? He just make up a bunch of shit. I don't know. And the thing about it is, is it's like it. It, regardless of which is true, it's irrelevant. We don't need this. You added. 10, 15 minutes of this movie for no reason. Right, right. We don't need it. Right. She got hit by a car. That's all. That's, that's all, all that's we important. really need here. Could have used that time to explore their like their 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 actual romantic entanglement, which you do not. You make a montage. I don't get it. It's very strange. <laughs> right. <laughs> so strange. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's just. Nearly every choice this movie made is bewildering to me, and uh, I don't, I don't know. That's just where I'm at. I was bored by it. Uh, somehow, still, right? Nearly right. every choice it made was bewildering to me, but also I was bored by it. Right? Is not a good place to be. No. <laughs> yeah. This I I qualify this. This was this is a quintessential airplane movie for me. Like this is something yeah. I would maybe watch on an airplane. Because I'm going to be on the damn thing for 14 hours, <laughs> right, but maybe right, I right. wouldn't. So why not? Why not boring. dedicate three hours of it? Why but, not just watch this four times? Uh, no, but the thing <laughs> is, this one might actually be too boring for that. I've watched some real stinkers on the airplane, but boy, this is this one might have been too boring actually. So it's it's a rough one. Whoa. I would like to I would like to formally apologize to Robert Towers, 
Peter Donald, Badalamenti the second, or Tom Everett, whoever I implied you look like a CG character. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I still think there was some weird shit going on on that screen because you didn't. Oh, I, they I did think something the fa- to you. They there was obviously makeup being you. done, and they, they won an Oscar for the makeup. But, um, but I really. Kate Blanchett, obviously, just old age makeup. Right. But Which I, I, but I can deal with old age. I, I have no problem with old age makeup. I, I absolutely think there was some mapping of Brad Pitt in old man makeup onto children's bodies. For... I think so. I do think so. And what? And I don't know. They. I feel like they did something to one of those three actors to make try to make them look a little bit more Brad Pitty. Obviously, here. Uh, the Uncanny Valley, even if they completely perfected the look, the Uncanny Valley would still exist from it being an old man who looks like uh, a little boy who looks like an old man, right? Right. So, I mean, there, it's gonna it's gonna be weird. So maybe I was able, a... I, I was I think able to buy into that just a little bit more than I otherwise would have, just because that's the conceit of the movie. So yeah, no, like, I get it. And I, it. It just was, it was just kind of weird to look at for me. So I was like, well, it's fine. That's not what, that's not what ruined the movie for me. Let's be very yeah. clear here. What but ruined I, the movie for me was other stuff. I don't know. Get, the blind clockmaker thing is still bothering me too, though. Cause like that, the whole, I, his, when I say that, like the moment this movie started, I was turned off from this movie. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> like his, his whole conceit is to go back in time. Right. And to bring to bring his son back to life, and like that, that regret and that longing for an unreachable past is not a theme in Benjamin no, Button's no, story. No, it's not. It is, it and is, it's not even really a theme in Daisy's story. No, it is not. It is not a theme. That longing for the past is not this movie. It's like they needed I I really 100% do not understand why he is in this movie. Why that section is in this movie. I feel like they were originally doing something where they were trying to set up and explain the metaphysics of this and then we're like no we're okay. Right, the magical clock affected, you know, because Right, exactly. The- I really feel like that's where they were going like and maybe like oh his son's soul was transplanted into this baby but it's i don't know i don't know all i know is that like whatever it was it feels like they gave up but they didn't cut the scenes out for whatever yeah. reason yeah i don't know that, also, that part is very strange i don't it's it really put me off on a bad foot like this just to start with it was like why are we what is happening here and then the faux silent film stuff just annoys me and this really like yeah because it's not like faux silent film in the sense where like sometimes they'll do like even in modern movies they'll like oh well, I want to color grade this to look like it's fucking the 70s and then we'll 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 mess with it and we'll add some film stock effects so that it looks it doesn't even look like a real silent film era film section it looks like a fake version of that that you would see in a like almost in a comedy does that make sense like, yeah. Oh, I'm doing a send up of silent films rather than like I wanted to make it actually look like it's very uh, the whole thing annoys me. Top to bottom. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh that's where I end up too. So 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, I do know is that I have nothing else of value to say about this movie. I don't know that we've said anything of value yet, no. but I certainly have nothing nothing more of value to say. So I think it's just time to pull this one to a close. Yes. So this week we've been talking about The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and its curious existence of the Criterion Collection, uh, the 2008 David Fincher-directed film. Next week we'll be talking about an interesting little documentary, Bergman Island from 2006, directed by Marie Nyrarod. It is uh, interviews with director uh, Ingmar Bergman and sort of career retrospective, as I understand it. Well, I haven't watched it yet. So look forward to that. Uh, enjoy Bergman. So maybe we'll enjoy learning more about Bergman. Uh, we've seen a lot of sort of behind-the-scenes things with Bergman over the years, too. Yeah. Not just behind-the-scenes of some of the movies we've watched, um, but we also had right. uh, Ingmar Bergman makes a movie way back when. Right. I so, kind of wonder what I wonder if this is going to give us new information or not, really. But Right, right. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Leon Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ochardorian. And we'll see you next time. been lost in criteria i'm your co-host adam glass you can find me on twitter at the adam glass my partner is john patrick oitari dorgan and you can find him at j patrick dorgan check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey give us a review on itunes it's nice if you really like what you hear consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lost criterion hey our theme music is by jonathan hape check him out at jonathanhape.com and thanks for listening We appreciate it.